Welcome to the official podcast of DogsDaily.com, a Sports Illustrated channel. Gets to the edge. Tony Michelle will send the Dogs home to the championship game. If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you're in the right place. Hosted by Dogs Daily Riders, Jeremiah Stoddard, Kyle Funderburg, and Jonathan Williams. Here's pitch. And high out into right center with some carry. It's got a chance. This ball is out of here. Tucker Bradley has won it. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, everybody. Today we have a special guest with us on our show for Dogs Daily on Sports Illustrated. We have Mr. Brooks Austin decided to join us today uh, to get us kind of rolling for our postseason recap here. Um, talk about the bowl game against Cincinnati and then look forward a little bit this year. Uh, how's it going, Brooks? I'm doing well, man. I got, I got to say, guys, I'm, I'm really, really proud of the work you've already put in um, on this podcast. You know, it, it does have the Dogs Daily brand on it. Um, and you guys, I have to say, are representing the brand really, really well. Um, so, A, I'm proud of you. Kind of a proud dad moment. B, um, I'm excited to be on here. First time, a uh, long time. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Well, we will jump right into it. Um, so let's start talking about the, the Peach Bowl a little bit. And we can, we'll start with our offensive side of things. When you look at the offensive production on there, there is a clear issue. I'll say issue, but I, I know the answer to this as well issue with our offense and the running game specifically, but clearly they were loading the box that impacted the way we were able to run the ball. So that made a big difference in like our offensive production. When you look at our offense as a whole in that game, Brooks, what, what did you see? Uh, I saw a, a Cincinnati team that was putting at least at, at bare minimum seven in the box. Um, it was, you know, it was similar to a, the same game plan that Mississippi state had in the sense that we're going to stack the box different type of execution, right? Mississippi State was a, a much more stunt, slant, and all kinds of funky twist type of football team. Um, Cincinnati was just a, hey, we got seven or eight in the box, and they're coming. They're going to find a gap. They're coming straight downhill. They're going to come after you. So it made it really, really tough to run the football, um, but it also provided, early, I mean, very, very early on in the football game, once Georgia figured out what they were doing, it provided a lot of one-on-one shots deep downfield. Um, and over the last four games, or the last four games, uh, with Georgia, you you notice that JT Daniels is, has no fear of taking those shots. He trusts all of his guys to go win those 50-50 balls, um, and and a lot of times they did. I mean, they won more than they lost, certainly, uh, last Friday. So that's what I saw. I saw a Cincinnati football team that knew they were going to have to, you know, physically they couldn't quite hold up, but numbers-wise, they knew they could, at least with their schematics. They knew they could stack the box and stop the run. I'll tell you, that's the, that's the first offense they've seen all year that is run capable against them. Um, the rest of them are air raid systems out there in the AAC. So, um, you know, I, I didn't expect them to stack the box as heavily as they did only because they didn't do it all year. And I saw an offensive line from Georgia that uh, didn't really expect them to have that many guys close to the line of scrimmage. So um, a bit of a, a shock early on in that football game for those offensive linemen. But I thought they kind of settled in. I thought one thing this year, they passed pro really, really well all year. Um, and I thought Friday was probably their worst pass pro uh, performance of the year because JT Daniels is getting lit up left and right. 
Yeah, he definitely was getting hit a lot. I will say I learned one thing about, well, not just in this game, but I learned this about uh, JT Daniels this season is that is one tough dude. He sat there and took shot, like you said, shot after shot throughout the game, and he wasn't getting the help on the line. And everyone, and I know you talked about this on your show earlier this week too, is everyone's looking at that offensive line saying, man, they're they're playing terrible. They're playing terrible. And, yeah, some, there were some missed assignments. There were some issues there. But most of it comes from that – pass right or the the rush that they were bringing in seven plus guys on how do you defend that as Georgia moving forward because when you look at the two games this year where they've been in a game that they did win both but where they almost lost them it was the offensive line not being able to run the ball was a big issue yeah I mean I I think you've got to do what Georgia's done so far this year I I don't suspect very many football teams moving forward are going to go into football games and say yeah we're going to stack the box and give JT Daniels George Pickens Jermaine Burton Harris Jackson uh, next year, Dominic Blaylock, Arian Smith. We're just going to give them one-on-one opportunities. Um, I mean, I, I don't see that moving forward. I see next year teams going into football games against Georgia saying, you know, kind of what South Carolina did where they're like, oh, man, we're if we're going to win today, we're going to have to stop the run with six. Like the, the way Georgia plays everyone else defensively, um, that four-two-five, six-in-the-box type of defense, um, that's modern football. If you actually have guys that can – stop the run. You're going to have to have physical, big football players to be able to stop the run with six and cover with five because moving forward with Georgia, if your proposition is to try to make JT Daniels beat you, well, it's proven at least this point. There's been two teams that have come into a game with that type of game plan, and JT Daniels just flat out scorched them both. I mean, I know the point production wasn't there against Cincinnati, but 395, it was there. And then against uh, Mississippi State, his very first start, they were blitzing the house, sending sending everybody they could, playing one-on-one and man-on-man on the outside. And, well, he whooped up on them pretty big too. So I, I think it's a losing proposition moving forward. And I, I don't know how many teams are going to ultimately do it um, in terms of stacking that box. It's probably not something you really got to worry about. But it, when it comes to an offensive coordinator walking to the line of scrimmage or having his quarterback walk to the line of scrimmage and seeing seven or eight guys in the box and still choosing to run the football – it's kind of just balancing tendencies. You have to at least show you're somewhat committed to the run um, at some point in the game. You can't just go out there and throw it 60 times. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say to go with that too, like when you have guys out of the backfield that can catch well and you can use an extension of the run game, that's something that people don't pay attention to as well either. I remember in the Mississippi State game, we did try to get some stuff going in the screen games and other things like that as well, which they don't go in as rushing yards, but that stuff does play a factor in that short yardage game that it's an extension of it. When we have guys, well, we'll talk about this too. Cook is coming back. James Cook Mm -hmm. coming back. So he is a guy out of the backfield in Munkin's system that we want to get the ball in his hands in the air. So in those games like this, that's when it starts to add up on these teams against us. I think you made a really good point. I don't think that's something that teams are really going to want to focus too deep on because they will end up getting burnt down the road by that. Absolutely. And again, I I don't think, you know, especially moving on next year when you've got Munkin and JT a full offseason to get comfortable with what they're going to do against those type of sets. um, Yeah, it's, it's a loser proposition to walk into a game against Georgia next year and saying, oh, well, you know, beat us through the air because, by God, they're going to beat you like a steel drum next year. Yeah, I guess about all this, I mean, it really shows just to stay on the topic of the uh, the Peach Bowl. We, when we talk about all this, it's clear that the, the offense missed uh, Cook a little bit. Um, like he said, those all this pass out the backfield. Maybe Cook's there, maybe it's one more touchdown, but it's more decisive, and we're not dwelling on the offense performance as much. I got to tell you, Kyle, um, I know everybody loves James Cook, but – 
from for my point of view and from my perspective, I enjoy watching James play as well. But Kenny McIntosh gives you everything James does in the passing mm-hmm. game, in my opinion. Just, I mean, he may not be able to as as a defined route runner, but let's be honest, Georgia's system at this point for running backs, it's split out outside in motion and run a straight go or run a halfback angle route out of the backfield or run a swing route or run a design screen pass. All of those things Kenny does just as well as James. My my preference of Kenny over James at this point is what they do as a traditional ball carrier. Um, I thought Kenny McIntosh had a great game against Cincinnati. Hell, he was he was basically the offense in that two-minute drill late to win that football game. So, um, yeah, getting James Cook back is a great addition. Don't get it, don't, don't get it twisted. It's awesome for Georgia to have that. Um, but I, even if they didn't, I don't, I don't think they're losing much. If, if anything, I think they might be gaining something uh, with Kenny. Yeah, to that point, I mean, I guess you can argue that without McIntosh there, especially in the last two minutes, Georgia probably doesn't even get, get a chance, chance to kick that mm-hmm. field goal because right. uh, JT wasn't getting those outside throws off. Um, and He didn't have time. They were still blitzing yeah. hard then, too. And uh, Kenny, he caught a lot of those passes over the middle and, and uh, scrapped out some yards, too. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, with James coming back, I would love to see in our backfield to run a little bit more of that 22 personnel that we've done this year where we have those two backs in the backfield because then you mm-hmm. could have, say, James out there and then you could have a Kendall mm-hmm. Milton or you could have uh, a McIntosh out there and then you have that balance of you don't know what they're about to do. They could literally do so many different things with that combination mm-hmm. and it could be deadly that way. I mean, the, if you look at Munkin's history, I, I expected him to run a lot more 22 personnel this year, period. I mean – what he did in uh, in Cleveland, I know everyone wants to say he wasn't the play caller in Cleveland, but he damn sure was the play designer. I mean, he had the offensive coordinator's role for a reason. Um, and, and and they had Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the field a lot in Cleveland his time. And and if you go all the way back to Southern Miss, when you've got two backs that are NFL backs playing for Southern Miss and Edo uh, Smith and Jalen Richard, um, yeah, you're going to get both of those guys on the field at the same time. The problem is now with the predicament that Georgia's in is, Every time you put a running back, an additional running back on the field, you take one of your wide receiver weapons off of the field. And, and it's a catch 22, pun intended. Um, it, it, it's about which, <laughs> which, which one do you prefer? Which one gives you more of a dynamic option um, in terms of, you know, especially the passing game um, in, in terms of the running game? I, I don't know. I think the only the only college football team I see running a bunch of 22 personnel is Jimbo Fisher. But that's just kind of what he's done throughout his history. He's preferred it. So, um, right. yeah, I, I want to see him run it more just because there's so many mouths to feed in that backfield. Um, but I think that 22 personnel, especially with Munkin, it, it's going to be more about you'll see it more when you've got a rushing threat at the quarterback position. So maybe in the future with a guy like Brock Vandergriff, because when, when in 22 personnel with a running quarterback, we really open up the option game in terms of put one guy in the pistol, basically what Baltimore is doing right now. Put one guy in the pistol, one guy offset at the quarterback, and then you're running read option with an actual speed option, uh, you know, you know, off of the read option look. So it could get really, really funky and really, really confusing for a defense if you're not careful. It's basically what Coastal Carolina is doing right now, too. So moving forward in the future, future, uh, depending on how long Todd Munkin stays around, I think you can see 22 personnel make its return. Uh, with a running quarterback. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. We've definitely ran it a lot more this year than we did in years past based on just my experience of watching Georgia football. So it definitely did increase this year a lot, and I think it could increase a decent amount next year as well. And I'm excited to see what happens there for sure. Um, when we flip over to the defensive side of the ball, 
What was a big thing for you when you were watching Brooks that really stood out to you outside of the obvious big plays? I was really, like really shocked to see them come out in the, the very beginning of the football game um, and running what we call TE game stunts, where you're taking the defensive tackle, you're actually spiking the defensive end, right? You're taking the defensive end that's typically lined up outside the offensive tackle, and you're spiking him into B-gap, which is in between the guard and tackle, and then you're wrapping the defensive tackle, who typically lines up over the guard, all the way back around the outside. And the reason it was surprising to me, um, borderline shocking, is because going into the game, everybody knew Desmond Ritter was a runner. Like, he he accounted for almost 100 carries this year for Cincinnati. So you knew he was a really good athlete. It, it was really, really surprising to me to see them open up and say, yeah, we're going to put Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt in charge of maintaining contain on a guy like Desmond Ritter. And you saw in that first half, the dude was getting outside the pocket and tearing him up. So in the second half, I saw him make adjustments. That was really impressive to me. Um, you know, that's what I always look for when I'm on tape. It's like, yeah, you can see, you can try to catch the adjustments in game, but there's so much to watch. It, it takes a while to go back. It's what makes great coaches, great coaches, the guys that can see it once and say, okay, this is our problem. This is our deficiency. Let's fix this either now or let's fix this at half and let's not keep getting beat on this issue. Um, and I thought that's what the difference was in that second half. I thought they contained Ritter a lot more inside the pocket and made him win from the pocket. And when you do that, uh, and you got a guy like Jordan Davis and a guy like Devontae Wyatt making pressure or pushing the pocket towards the middle of the quarterback, if you, if you contain him inside that umbrella, uh, it makes it really, really difficult to drive the ball down the field. Uh, and I think that's exactly what you saw in the second half. I mean, apart from that long breakaway run uh, to start of the third quarter, they didn't move the ball very much at all, especially late in the fourth quarter. So, um, yeah, that, that's what I saw. And then at the end of the game, I, I mean, we could talk about Tyree Stevenson's play for the rest of our time. I mean, good God, what a play. Yeah, absolutely. That was a – the running game I expected to be a little bit more for Cincinnati in general. And But I think a big factor that kind of hesitated on that as far as, one, I think they probably felt they needed to kind of keep Ritter a little bit more, not in the pocket, but from scrambling as much because they had their starting running back was out right before the game. So they had to make that adjustment on there. So that probably helped as far as Georgia's overall plan as far as handling that part as well. But they also, other than that, like you said, the 79-yard touchdown run to start the second half, they had 20 rushing yards against Georgia. They came in with, I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head we talked about last week, but 220 yards a game Mm -hmm. on the ground, I believe. And they got 20 yards rushing. So I was just extremely encouraged watching that defense, especially with the younger guys out there. A big name that popped up to me was Latavius Brini. He stood out and he didn't, I think he had five tackles, um, but he had two tackles for a loss. He had a pass deflection and he was just in the right places most of the time. Outside of the one play that kind of went viral with Nicobe Dean basically throwing him to the other side of the field. And there was one more play. I know you know, coverage, you don't really get get to, to notice this. But there was one play we got, a, I think it was a sack, or maybe Ritter threw it away or something. And I saw Brenny downfield, like, clutch on this guy. Just one of those plays that, you know, it's not going to get mentioned a lot because you know, you're not really going to notice it. But I noticed that, that in the replay. He was really good in coverage as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I thought Brenny had a really, really good football game. And, and, and he didn't really miss any tackles. That, that That's the impressive thing. When you got a guy that's – not played a lot this season, right? And, and gets on the field um, and, and his first career start, I believe. And and he's pretty sound, like fundamentally. I mean, schematically, it's one thing to play in Georgia's system and be in the right places at the right time. I thought that was another thing we noticed about the defense. Like the first half, you should have expected them to come out a little bit slow. You got a whole bunch of guys playing either their first start of their career or a guy like Tyreek Stevenson 
playing in a position at in corner where he hadn't I hadn't, I hadn't seen Tyree Stevenson play corner since I believe the rain game against Kentucky last year. So like that dude was in a complete uh you know new position is something foreign to him or at least relatively foreign to him. And and you see you saw him kind of settle in as the game go on. Uh same thing for Bernie. Uh same thing for Quay Walker. I thought he got better as the game went on. Uh, I, th- I thought the defense played well, uh, obviously, in the second half. But you should have expected going into that football game that they might have started a little bit slow. Yeah, they definitely did a little bit slow on there. But I was – yeah, it was it was a good thing to see those players step up. One thing that I'm really big on now is – well, everybody is, obviously, is Jordan Davis announcing he's coming back today. That's huge on that defensive line because we already have him now, and then you have Devontae Wyatt coming back. Uh, Kobe Dean at linebacker is going to be very, very sturdy there and take over – I think very nicely for Monty Rice at this point. I love Monty Rice. I'm one of the biggest supporters of Monty Rice. But after watching how he's been able to handle himself this year and take that leadership role, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do there um, in the absence of Monty now that it's, it's his linebacker room to control. And then going back, at uh, Louis Cena at safety is going to be a really big one for me next year too. The guy is moving out there. And then I was excited to see Chris Smith out there. Chris Smith played pretty well at safety in the absence of Richard LeCount this year as well. But I'm, I'm excited to see – the depth at this uh, at Georgia defense next year to see what they. Who do you guys look think like is year. faster, uh, Chris Smith or Lewis Seen? I mean that close that that one play that got stopped on the line of scrimmage with Smith. I mean his closing speed. I was something we haven't really. Smith had, was moving. We really had had uh, highlighted that all year. But that was impressive. Hard to say after 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 watching that. Yeah, Smith Smith was moving, but Seen is quick too. I think they're both extremely fast safeties, which is extremely helpful when you use the safeties like we do, and we have our safeties. We're so used to having Richard LeCount come up and help on those run plays on defense. And it was good to see that Smith was doing the same thing in the bowl game. He was coming downhill so quick and to make helping make plays at the line of scrimmage in the run game. Yeah, I know one one thing I noticed last night during the Lewis scene breakdown is something I I really didn't pay attention to all year. But last year with J.R. Reed and Richard LeCount back there, they they played a left and a right safety, right? I mean, Lewis Seen or uh J.R. Reed, excuse me, played the left safety. Richard LeCount played the right safety and, and, you know, strength didn't matter. Field boundary didn't matter. They kind of rolled them and let them do a little bit of both. Like they would put one guy in the box and drop the other one in a deep safety uh, in that cover three shell. And then this season you look at it and it's like, oh, well, even when Richard was in there, it was we're playing Richie to the field and we're putting Lewis scene to the boundary um, no matter the strength. And it, it allowed offenses to kind of know where they were going to line up. Um, and that's something that's uncommon for Kirby since Kirby's been at Georgia. And it's probably because he's had reliable, you know, veteran safeties that have played a lot of football um, since he's been there, there. There is no predicting what they're going to do um, this year. I thought they got themselves into situations where they could be uh, predictable in terms of alignment. And that allows offensive coordinators to go after you. Um, and it allows them to dial up, you know, whether it be trick plays. I think Georgia saw more trick plays this year. Than they had all, all you know, since I've been watching them and since I've been covering them for sure. I know Missouri hit them on one, South Carolina hit them on one, uh, Cincinnati threw a double reverse at them too. So they got hit with more trick plays this year because their alignment was more predictable and they knew who they could go after in each uh, specific scenario. Uh, I'll be interested to see if that's still there next year or if, you know, they go back to being a little more unpredictable. Yeah. I think that that comes with time, too, of like getting the players developed into the system to see if you can do it that way. Not everybody works the same way Richard does, obviously, uh, at safety force. So things change 
there drastically. We'll wrap up with one more question for you because I know you got some stuff going on tonight. You have a show yourself here mm-hmm. in about 15 minutes to get going. So I won't hold you up too long. I got one question that I, I wrote down to ask you because I really wanted to hear your opinion on it on the air here because I know you've said this a few times. You've been talking about Georgia's title chances next year and about what they're set to do. And they are set up to have a good year next year with the talent they have coming in and everything like that. My question would be, do you think that this next year is a title or bust year for Georgia? For everybody listening, Brooks is not a Georgia fan. So if this answer is a direct answer of a football guy. All right, so let's just look at it from a a bird's eye view, right? Florida, dumpster fire next year. Going to be awful. I mean, probably even worse than they were in 2019. I mean, this this year's expectations were great for Florida. Um, they kind of met them and then threw a shoe in it and eight and four. So, like, they're, they're gone. They're like, the SEC is Georgia's. SEC <laughs> East is Georgia's to lose. Okay, so there's that. Um, Alabama working in a new quarterback, I would assume, if Mac Jones declares for the NFL draft, even if he doesn't, they lose majority of their weapons, assuming Jalen Waddle leaves for the NFL draft. They definitely lose their starting running back. They definitely lose their left tackle. They definitely lose their starting Mike linebacker. So Alabama takes a step back next year. Meanwhile, Georgia returns 16 starters. Clemson working in a new quarterback, going to be working in a guy who at least got a couple of the games of experience this year, but damn sure didn't look anything like Trevor Lawrence did as a true freshman. Say what you want about DJ Ugalele. He's got time that he needs to grow, right? we got to see what he's going to look like, and they get them first game of the season. So um, Ohio State, same thing. Justin Fields gone. Who is going to play quarterback up there? I'm guessing it's going to be C.J. Stroud, who kind of flirted with the idea of coming to Georgia in 2020. So, um yeah, your your perennial powerhouses that you've been competing against and that are other are, are other teams in that national title contention conversation year in and year out, they're all taking a step back. Meanwhile, Georgia is returning more starters than they have in the last, what, four years? Um, yeah, if Kirby Smart doesn't win a national championship in 2021, um, all your questions about him are warranted. You can bring them. He's recruited at an absolute elite level for four years now, coming on a fifth-year class. Um, he's got an opportunity to bring a guy like Devontae Wyatt back. He's got an opportunity to get Jordan Davis to come back. He's got an offense that can finally score at will, something he hasn't had in his entire career at the University of Georgia. He's got the offensive coordinator running. He's got the quarterback to do it. He's got the weapons around him to do it. If Georgia doesn't win a national title next year, I don't know when they do. And I know it's, it's a lot of pressure to enter into a season where it's title or bust. Well, guess what? That's what Georgia's been in for about, I would say, at least portion of their fan base has been like that for at least a decade. Uh, but you recruit like Alabama, you recruit like Clemson, you recruit like Ohio State. That comes with the demands and the expectations of those programs who, by the way, have won a national title, all of which in the last five or six years. So, yeah, it's national title or bust. And I guarantee you, they're speaking the same way in their locker room and in their coaching office and in that athletic building. They are speaking the same exact way, as should you. Your expectations should be a national title next year. 16 returning starters with the most highest potent offense you probably had at Georgia in quite a long time and a pretty stout defense to go with it. If you can protect the quarterback, I think you got two questions next year, and you'll know them early. If you've got a relatively decent offensive line, because it's going to be some young guys, talented guys, but lack of experience. If you got those guys that can protect, and if you can cover at least a C grade, if you got some corners that can get out there and cover barely, like if Keely Ringo steps up, and yeah, he might get picked on as a as a young cat every once in a while. If whoever is on the other side can survive, Georgia should win a national title next year. No ifs, ands, or buts about. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm with you on, on we're finally set to where everything has been built and established for a few years at this point. It is time to start doing something like that at this point with him in his coaching career at Georgia. The first few years, everybody was kind of getting, I think Georgia fans got a little antsy after we went to a national championship his second year and they were ahead of schedule. And I don't think people realized how far ahead of schedule that was that ended up happening with a freshman quarterback going on that run. And so at this point now, we're at his what sixth year. It's time we've had the establishment set up. It's it's set up. His system's there. His people are there. His coaching staff. Everything is there. It's time to make the full run at it. And I think that next year sets up pretty well with competition-wise as well. So I would say I agree with you that next year is a big year for Georgia in that aspect of it. Well, Brooks, I appreciate you jumping on. Do us a favor. Just let everybody know real quick what you do right now, everything you're doing, and, and where they so can get So this is pre-recorded. I don't know when you're going to release this, my guy, but um, it is Thursday night, 9 o'clock. I'm about to go live with a show that we call MBR, uh, Nothing But Rants. Um, it's literally nothing but rants. I go in there and talk, you know, really, really uh, aggressively about uh, issues that I like, you know, hot button issues that I find, uh, you know, intriguing. Uh, that's a live show we do Monday and Tuesday. We typically do a, a private show for our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. Um, and of course, everything we do at dogsdaily.com. You guys are a, a part of, you know, obviously a really great staff. Um, shout out Evan Crowell as well. He writes some great stuff for us. Uh, not a portion of this podcast but he's a big portion of our team over there on dogsdaily.com so all of our writings you can check out there any video content uh any x's and o's talk you want to do some uh join that patreon account or check me out on youtube uh at brooks austin and I'm, of course i'm on twitter at brooks austin si um no shame of opinion over there I'll, I'll give them to you for free on twitter so that's what i got going on i appreciate you gentlemen again proud dad moment i appreciate you guys for doing this uh, people have been asking me to do a podcast forever. Unfortunately, I don't have time, but you guys apparently do, and you're kicking ass, so keep doing it, okay? I appreciate you, Brooks. You take care, and I'll be jumping on your show probably here in a little bit guys. as well. We'll see you later. All right, I appreciate having Brooks on the show. That was pretty cool to get him to talk about the Peach Bowl and our, our future endeavors at Georgia here. So let's segue ourselves to 2021 a little bit. And on the offensive side, we'll start with you, Jonathan. Who's a player that you're looking for to break out next year on offense? Well, first off, I'm going to say that Arian Smith is going to be my guy that I'm really watching and who I'm really hoping that breaks out because – I really can't remember where we've had a guy like this who has a quick release off the line and it's just so fast. I mean, he is just a straight burner. That He left that Cincinnati defender where he had that 55-yard catch just completely in the dust. And so I'm watching him, and then I kind of talked about this a little bit this week after the Peach Bowl was I'm really interested to see how Dominique Blaylock looks in this offense because we didn't get to see any of him this year because he had an injury and he was out for the whole season. So I'm really interested to see how he molds into Todd Munkin's offense and how he looks in this because finally Georgia has so many offensive weapons in regards to wide receivers, and I'm really excited how that's going to look out between those two. Yeah, and to go back to what Brooks said a second ago too about running backs as far as having too many mouths to feed, that's the thing that like I'm looking at at wide receiver next year with us because you'll have Pickens back one more year. You'll have uh, Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint will be healthy again. You've got Arian Smith who's – healthy late this year and has made a couple big plays like you're talking about you have Jermaine Burton 
it's it's going to get tight for and Kiaris Jackson, who started really strong this year. We talked about this last week, too. Mm-hmm. Kiaris Jackson had such a great first half of the year, and then all of a sudden it switched off. And I think that is a big part of what it is ex- exactly because of JT Daniels coming back. When JT Daniels came back, mm-hmm. he started connecting with Pickens more. And so then we were we saw what was going to be like our number one receiver at the beginning was Kiaris Jackson to halfway through the season that completely flipped. And then all of a sudden he got kind of quiet. He still had some big plays, but he was nowhere near the same production. So it's going to be interesting to see how they, how they feed those mouths at wide receiver next year. We'll throw the ball a lot more than we did early the year. So there'll be a little bit more production overall. You'll see JT Daniels probably throw for, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he throws more than, you know, 3,000 yards since he went for 1,200 yards in four games. There's going to be production in that sense. You're going to have a wide receiver go over 1,000 potentially. I, I think Pickens could do it. But it's going to be interesting to see how many yards guys like Kiaris Jackson and and those younger guys that are starting out there get at this point. That's not even mentioning the tight ends. I mean, nope. Darnell. Um, still going to have a Fitzpatrick who I was surprised when I looked through the stats. He didn't even have, have 100 yards this year. It seemed like he caught a lot of passes. I figured he would have had more than 100 yards more next year. Um, he's going to be kind of that quiet tight end who's going to get a he'll get a big catch every now and then. And then there's a whole list of tight ends after those guys. Yeah, that could play. And then the possibility of getting getting Gilbert on top yeah, of that. That's what I was going to say too. You've got Rick, Rick Gilbert is a guy that Georgia's going after pretty hard. He's in the transfer portal, and Georgia was recruiting really, really hard at the beginning of his like when he came out of high school. Georgia's in the mix for that. The odds of them getting, I think, they have a good chance. We'll see how it comes back. I'll have to ask Brooks off air and then get back to everybody on that too mm-hmm. is what he thinks is going on with Rick Gilbert as well. Yeah, the word is that he's homesick. But homesick. That's, and he's that's, from yeah. he's from Marietta, right? Yeah. Yeah. I but mean that's that's just, just the word. We don't know if that's really why. That's the word. That's something that, I, I will say that I, that I put more validity to this year because mm-hmm. of like the transfer mm-hmm. Regulations that they've kind of like let loose a little bit, where everybody yeah. can transfer, everybody can play the right away. So they're they're not going for like the waiver necessarily. So this year, when a player says something like that, they're not really going for the waiver or trying to get that taken care of yeah. because of something. It, to to me, this year that's a real a real comment, and yeah. that makes me super encouraged at Georgia's chances of getting him. With that being said, that means he wants to come here, and I know Georgia still wants him. If you oh, if he wants to come here, he can come here. So. I think that gives us a good chance. And so, yeah, that's an extra person. If you have the tight ends mixed in at wide receiver, and then like Brooks, we were talking about earlier, throw into our running backs out of the backfield. You have James Cook came back. He's going to expect to get some production in that area. Uh, and then you have Kenny McIntosh, who we were saying is also a similar style as James Cook is. It's it's going to be interesting to see those wide receivers and see what they can get as far as production goes. So, Kyle, who is your breakout offensive player? I mean, it's any one of those names we just mentioned. I guess since Jonathan spoke at length about uh, Arian Smith, I'll go with uh, Marcus Rosemey. Let's keep in mind his last catch was a touchdown. Unfortunately, CBS showed us that replay one too many times of him <laughs> yeah. breaking his leg. And I mean, clearly, I mean, this that was a game where we didn't have George Pickens playing. Obviously, didn't have a Blaylock. Offense was obviously shorthanded. And I mean, he got open against against Florida's defense and scored a touchdown. That's, and I know he had he had I know that was his first catch. He'd shown some potential before that, but yeah, I mean that's that's a guy. I think there was not going to be one one breakout no. player on this offense next no. year. There might be half a dozen. I think and, it's going to be a breakout offense. I think that's the yeah, thing. And yeah, it's, that's a, that's a good thing. I'll switch a little bit to a running back area, and this isn't exactly like a um, a big 
call here, and I'm not going out on a limb by saying this, but I think Ken, uh, Kendall Milton's going to have a really good year next year as well because mm-hmm. Zamir's not announced that he's gone yet. I, at this point, I don't see him coming back. And so then you have James Cook coming back as your number one, number two guy aside in my head. It'll be Kendall Milton. And I think he's a guy that could get up a lot of yardage if he stays healthy all year because he got hurt against Florida. And so then he was out for half the season and a short season at that. And but he was he was showing flashes of it. So once again, that's not like exactly your hot take of a player that's going to break out because we've already seen what he can do there. Um, but I'll, I'll say I'll wrap it into this, the the whole thing is it's it'll be a breakout offense. I know yeah. Brooks has said this himself too. With what we have coming back and what the plan and the scheme that Munkin has been running, if we don't score forty points a game next year, something something's going on somewhere that we need to address more internal than like what we've all been seeing because it doesn't make sense the the weapons and especially how well we've played late in the year. Now we yeah. didn't score but twenty four points in the Peach Bowl, but Overall, the offense was playing well. There was some stuff they had to deal with, but like they they were playing well. So I don't think there's an issue as far as that goes. I mean, they had 450 yards of offense on those. And I'm sitting here talking about like it potentially being a quote unquote rough game for their offense. They were they were doing a lot. If if you look at it base, you know, on face value, and and you look at the points scored, it looks a little bit rough. But the thing was, there was some. Costly turnovers and bad situations, and then there were some penalties that really cost us in in bad situations. The interception that JT threw, it was his fault, obviously, but because it was a bad throw on there. But if you look at that play too, I was watching it back earlier this week, and and Zamir, we were running a fake with him, and Zamir just ran right past his linebacker and let the linebacker come flying in, and he got absolutely drilled. JT was hit; he threw, he had to one throw it a lot sooner than he was wanting to. And then yeah. he was also being hit when he was throwing it. So, yeah, he made a bad throw. And whether or not he should have tried to just throw it out of bounds or something is a different story there. But no quarterback's making a good throw on that one. So I'm going to give him a credit, you know, a break on that. And then the other one that he really does need to work on for JT is that ball security in the pocket. Because, man, when he's running around, he is elu- he's been pretty elusive in the pocket. But that mm-hmm. ball is just sitting out in his hands, just extended from his body. He doesn't have both hands on it, and they're extended from his body. And it ended up getting popped out, and it was a costly fumble late in the game. or. Yeah, late in the game on that part, too. So that's what really messed with our scoring production for it. But yeah. the yardage was there. Our offense was still there. And you look at the the, the, the first two field goals they settled for, 37 yards, 32 two yards. That's on the doorstep of, of, of the red zone. I'm not going to do, do, do the math right now, but that's, yeah. clo- that's close enough to the end zone where, yeah. you're, where you we're have a touchdown there. in mind. We were moving the ball very well. On defense, let's talk about defensive breakout players then. So we'll start with you this time, Kyle. I think uh, Keely Ringo. Um, I, I've watched a lot of his uh, high, high school stuff. I, I think he's a guy that would have contributed a lot this year had he not, not got, got hurt. Of course, we did have two openings at corner. You can argue three because DJ Daniels also leaving. So two starting spots and a key backup spot. So, I mean, that's going to be a position to watch throughout the spring and camp. I think Ringo will win that battle and be and be and be the man at corner at least one at one spot. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with you that it's my breakout player on defense is going to be on it's going to be at cornerback because like you said we lost our starting three corners at this mm-hmm. point we're going in with little to no experience at that position so somebody's going to have to step up and be a breakout player or it's going to be a rough rough year for our secondary on there. It is like what Brooks was saying it, it Keely is going to start you know he's going to be a, a baller out there. 
He might get beat a couple times here and there with being younger. Once again, all of our corners are going to be susceptible to that because they don't have that experience. Um, so I think I think you'll see a breakout player at corner next year. It's There's no telling who it's going to be, to be honest with you. We're going to need it to be multiple people, really. I, I think we're going to need it to be two guys at corner to be breakout players next year. I have one more to say if Jonathan does not mention him. So, um, so since ahead, you guys are secondary, I'll kind of go a different route here. And one that I'm going to go with is Adam Anderson. Now, of course, Adam Anderson has played really well this season. I mean, just even in the bowl game, he had, I think, two sacks. And so he's played yeah, really well sacks. all year. But something that I've kind of noticed with a lot of Georgia defensive players is that it's always that year right before that they go into the draft that they just seem to really stand out against everybody else. You know, Roquan Smith, the year where Georgia made that title run, he just stood out amongst yes. everybody else in the nation. And then, of course, Aziz Ojolari, he just took a huge step, I think, in regards to his position and how he stands out against everybody else. And so now, of course, with Ojolari being gone now, I think Adam Anderson is going to be someone that really steps up and he just stands out against everybody else because he, he is such a solid pass rusher. He wreaks havoc in the backfield. He just does it all for Georgia. And so I think he's going to be a very big guy in the offense next year. And he's going to be a big headliner for that UGA defense next season. Yeah, the other guy that I wanted to mention, um, a lot like Ringo, but to stay on topic of the edge rushers, is uh, MJ Sherman. And he's a guy I think would have played this year, but, I mean, that room was so stacked. Yeah. There was no room for a true freshman. Two uh, players are leaving. Now that opens up mm-hmm. a huge spot for Sherman. And I think he'll yeah, look. Yep. Jermaine's gone, too. Jermaine Johnson yeah. is transferring out, too. So that's yep. another edge rusher guy. That I think, yeah, I think y'all are both on something with that for sure. And I, I think it's funny because, like, it looks as if next year would be a breakout year for Adam Anderson, and and it will probably be like that, that big stat year for him. But he's only been on he's on the field minimally yeah. right now in pass rushing situations mm-hmm. only this year, and he's still mm-hmm. got six and a half sacks this year. Aziz had eight and a half. He's he's up there. He's already getting the production on limited number of snap counts. So I think, Jonathan, I think you're you're dead right. I think Adam Anderson on that edge is going to have a breakout year as well. I think there's going to be a few people on defense that can have big years, but I think he's going to be the guy that steps up in the pass rush for us too. I think if you would ask some people, they might want to include Nolan Smith in there as well. I mean, he was the top-ranked guy in 2019, and I think he's played well. He hasn't blown up the way people have thought. So I think we can go ahead and maybe mention Nolan Smith in that in that spot as well. He's a potential. I think he's a potential guy to do it as well. I he's not a big pass rush guy as much for me. He's more of we we like to use him to set the edge in the run game and those downs like that. So that's a, he to me he's a little bit of a different style from that. But he I hope he has a bigger year than he had this year. He was a little quiet this year. Um, he was pretty sound overall though. He's not out there blowing his assignments a lot though. I will say that that's something to me. He's going to end up being the guy that is your, you know, he's going to end up being there his senior year and he's going to be that that rock in your line or on your, you know, defensive end area and and he's going to be that leader of the team not necessarily based on production. Um I think he's that guy that he'll lead in different ways necessarily, but I mean he could he could step up more because Jermaine Johnson and Aziz Ojolari leaving, he's going to be, you know, an upperclassman on that outside linebacking area in that edge rusher area. So, I mean, he could, he very well could. I mentioned uh, in the projected depth chart I did earlier this week, I believe it was Anderson's strengths are in one area, Nolan Smith's or Nolan's strengths are in the other area. They're going to spend this offseason trying to catch each other at their, like make up for their weaknesses by catching up with each other in that right. area and just kind of be both, had to be three down players. And they both kind of missing, like 
Nolan miss is missing what Adam has. Adam's missing what Nolan has. They're going to spend this off season catching each other in those areas. Yeah, I think I think they'll they'll probably work pretty well. It'll be one of those things mm-hmm. where you'll see them switch out based on like what type of set we're in, if it's a pass mm-hmm. rush or if it's you know a, a running set kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think they'll complement each other pretty well. Yes. Uh, I'm excited to see our defense as a whole next year. The biggest question is obviously going to be at corner for us, um, especially with our D line being so stout coming back. I'm extremely happy with what we have coming back there, as we mentioned earlier in the show. And then at linebacker, I think Nicobe Dean's going to do a fantastic job. Most likely it's going to be Quay Walker aside him based on just this season and what we've seen. But Channing Tindall can get in there and, and play some as well. Plus, we have a lot of young guys at linebacker. We have some studs coming in at linebacker this next year in the 2021 recruiting class. So some of those young guys are going to get some playing time yeah, somewhere I think as well. With, you know, we talk about how the biggest question for the defense is going to be the secondary more than likely, just with how much depth and veterans you lose in that area. But they have the perfect complement to that for next year is that we have Jordan Davis coming back and you have that stout defensive line coming because there's nothing easier for that. There's nothing that makes a secondary's job easier than a really good defensive line that gets pressure on the quarterback. So having those good linebackers and those good edge rushers that Georgia has is is great for how young the secondary will be because it really takes off a lot of the pressure for them because they hopefully will not have to cover as long in the passing game. Yeah, a a defensive back's best friend is a good pass rush. And to put that in yeah. perspective, if you during the Peach Bowl, there's a play that people were sitting here getting mad at Campbell for. But he yeah. gave up a touchdown. I think it was to Wiley, uh, the tight end that we talked yes. about last week as well. But he was – I swear oh, it was yeah. seven seconds. Yeah. How, how are you going to cover been. somebody for that long? You can't – of course he's going to let – somebody's going to eventually get open. You chase somebody around the yard for seven seconds and mm-hmm. see if they've separated enough for you to mm-hmm. somebody throw a football to you. Like, it's going to happen. Well, at that point, you've been following a guy through a route you've seen yeah. in film. Once it gets to, like, four or five seconds, that receiver's not running that route anymore. They're trying trying to break out and do whatever he can. You can't follow a guy when you it's don't. It's a broken play. You're no running around. Pull, pull, pull away, wait, they're going to be going. Yeah, it's it's impossible. So, yeah, I would say that, that you, you're very right there, and I think that could help our defensive backs improve a lot because it'll mm-hmm. they'll have that great pass rush and that defensive line being so stout that it'll make it a little bit easier for them because quarterbacks aren't going to have seven seconds to sit in the pocket mm-hmm. to tear apart our yeah. secondary like that. So, I'm excited to see what it looks like next year. I know Brooks said it, and he's got me kind of on it now, too, is next year is a big year for Georgia. I feel like they have a chance to do something special. I know we kind of started the podcast a little late this year in it, so we only really got two full episodes in for football right now, and that's coming to an end. But I am excited to segue our section on Dogs Daily here over to other sports this spring coming up. Basketball is already going on, so we're going to talk about that next week as well. And then baseball starts up next month, and I'm excited to see how that goes as well. So. Give us a, a, a quick preview of the basketball team right now, Kyle. Well, I mean, of course, they just plowed through a, a admittedly weak um, non-conference schedule. But they showed a lot of things to be excited about. They dominate the offensive boards most nights. They are resilient as can be. They had the potential to score a ton of points, especially on the fast break. We saw that last night against LSU. They, they outscored LSU on the fast break 24 points to zero. Yeah. Um, they run the floor really well. I mean, to that point of fast breaks, when on the other end, they, they, they race back and they prevent fast breaks. I mean, but obviously they are two games into conference play and they've dropped both of them. Of course, last night they, or Wednesday night, I should say, they, uh, they got, 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 got in, in, in overtime and just couldn't find, find the points needed to win. Um, that's one of the issues with the team. I said they had the potential to score a lot. 
they also have, have, have some stretches where they make scoring look really difficult. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to kind of dive into it. I know they, like you said, we've got two SEC games under our belt now. Uh, unfortunately, we lost both of those. We have another one against Arkansas coming up on the ninth. Um, so we'll have that game before we meet again next week ourselves. And then actually we'll have two more because next uh, on the 13th, they play against Auburn as well. So we'll get two more games to kind of see before we break down a full episode on, on Dogs Daily about basketball here. I'm extremely excited about next week's episode too. As of now, I've got an agreement from a buddy of mine, J.J. Frazier, is going to join us on our show. Um, he is in Italy right now because he's playing uh, European uh, basketball right now. I'm trying to figure out exactly how to get him on the show with everybody if I can. Uh, worst case, I'll be sure to at least get some type of interview posted with him as well. That way everybody can kind of see what's going on with one of the former great Georgia Bulldogs, J.J. Frazier as well. But I'm excited. Appreciate you guys joining us again this week. Thank you guys for listening this long. If you stuck with us this long, we appreciate it. Stick around for future episodes coming up. We are excited to see where things go throughout the rest of the year. Um, if you're just going to join us with football, we will see you back in August next year or 2021 this year. And we will get things wrapped up and, and started up again, I guess. Thank you all. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Dogs Daily on Sports Illustrated. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Dogs Daily crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at Jeremiah underscore Stodd 7, to Kyle at DK Fubderberg, and Jonathan at 22 underscore J-Man. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime, go dogs.